When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. It's just me and the mighty Murph and uh, his can of San Miguel, which... Uh, especial. Sh- especial. I'm sure Murph as well is a little tip of the cap to uh, to Spain qualifying for the Rugby World Cup today with mm. a win over Portugal. Yeah, totally not deliberate, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. could, it could have been anything. There's, there's Sagres in the fridge as well. If Portugal had won, <laughs> all eventualities covered. Yeah. Is, is that Portuguese, is Sagres? Sagres is, yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, good Sag- shot. Uh, Sagres and Super. But no, I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I didn't have that stocked up. I, I just had my usual tipple. So it's lucky Spain won. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that. Uh, any of that game actually. But a big, yeah, big for Spain. They haven't qualified for a World Cup since 1999, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, by all accounts, it was a sellout as well, which is you know. Uh, I don't know. Obviously, it's, it, there's a lot riding on one game, but it's good to see tier two nations able to able to generate interest in the sport. That can only be a good thing. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I imagine when they last qualified, I can't imagine they had a big crowd in there that time. So, maybe, well, maybe they did. I know, but uh, yeah, it's one of those where um, the tier one nations don't really look after these small nations well enough. I, yeah, I know it's I difficult, agree. but. It's all about the bottom line, but um, some some sides should go and play against them and try and get them involved, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. Um, we're, we're only two minutes into the podcast and we better not go down the route of all the ills of uh, <laughs> of Tier 1 and Tier 2 rugby. We'll, uh, I'm sure, have time to uh, to delve into that at some point um, over, the, over the remainder of the season, as we always do. But Six Nations will dominate proceedings for this podcast. A... Near miss for Wales on Friday night, uh, a win for Scotland away in Italy and uh, a really interesting game at Twickenham as well. So we get stuck into all of that and we've got a load of listeners' questions as well to uh, to get our teeth into. So let's, uh, let's start by getting your, your th- thoughts on uh, Friday night's game, Murph. What's, uh, what, was, yeah, what was your assessment of Wales' performance? Well, uh, generally around the media and various places... People seem to be quite positive because we pushed the French close and everything else. But personally, I, I just saw a side who were happy for us to have us to, happy for us to have the ball mm. because they didn't feel under threat at any stage, and we didn't really look like going to try, even though we dominated the second half possession-wise and territory-wise and whatever. And they just—I I don't know what what their motivation was, but they just seemed to shut up shop and soak up the pressure and kind of—I uh, suppose that compliment from our point of view is because they would have been looking to soak up pressure and, and play on the break or play on the turnover we didn't give them any opportunities in that regard but I don't think they were ever really aside from the Jonathan Davis knock on which I think there was cover for anyway even if you hadn't knocked it on mm-hmm. um, they were never really stretched much so um, yes we weren't <laughs> we weren't as bad as we were against Ireland but uh, I'm not as I'm not as you know positive about it as, as uh, most other people seem to be yeah I mean I've as you know and obviously we've covered on this a number of times I've been a bit 
you know, still I'm still yet to be won over by the by the, the kind of the, the current regime and see where we're heading and what our kind of game plan is and um you know and, and how we're how we're gonna fare in the in the absolute biggest games. What I will say is, you know, that was to run France that close, I think takes some takes some doing because they are they are a hell of a side. And I do think, you know, as you as you know I'm a fan of throwing in a, a sporting analogy. I do think there was points in there that France were rattled. I know what you're saying about them happy for uh, happy for us to have the ball and obviously it, it panned out in the end. But there, I think there were definitely phases where they were a bit rattled and you could see the relief at the end. But at the same time, when you go, I think Warburton mentioned this after the game, when you're going for a grand slam, there is always one game where you either get out of jail or yeah. you you know, you have to dig deep. You look back to Wales's last Grand Slam, it was the one in Scotland, I think, was the most uh, was the most apparent one. You know, again, we, it was that slippery potential banana skin. We almost got dragged into it. It was, uh, you know, a close, a close run thing away at Murrayfield. And then the following week, we go and do an absolute number on Ireland. And, uh, and I kind of expect to see the same from the French now, you know. So I think, I, I think Wales were, you know, professional and gritty and and lots of that but ultimately you're right other than the, the Jonathan Davis effort didn't really look like didn't really look like scoring a try um but sometimes just being in the game is all you need you know it, it can go that way so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I don't know I, I mean I, I think you know I've been pretty hard well not harsh but a bit, a bit critical of this side over the last couple of years and I think you, you sometimes you do have to take your hat off and say that there is there is clearly a, a degree of grit there and perhaps you know it's a bit more grit than what I was saying before which is dragging teams down to our level yeah exactly um, I just think tactically speaking France were just happy they had lots of opportunities where they could have tried to play some rugby and they just kicked it back to us they just would not attempt anything from their own half um and even getting up towards halfway, they was happy to put it up in the air. I, I, I was wondering if it was damper out there than it came across on TV because they just they were playing like it was uh, lashing. France were playing like it was lashing down with rain, like, tactically anyway. Mm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, but he, he, as far as the positives go, I mean, the the, the line out, uh, the addition yeah. of Seb Davis really paid off for the line out, uh, and the scrum. <clears throat> Yeah, I suppose it wouldn't be a, a, a review from me if I didn't have a go at the ref. The Please. scrum, the yeah. scrum. <laughs> six six minutes. This is what the audience has been waiting for. Yeah, uh, they were they were running round. As far as I'm concerned, they were running round Tom Francis's side of the scrum. So running round the scrum to mm. negate the threat of Tom Francis because he is. I don't think he fully appreciated in Wales how many penalties he wins at scrum if you play if you scrum fairly against him. Yeah. Um, now they're running around the corner and winning, winning, winning penalties and free kicks for it, uh, which was uh, that was on the ref on Cardi, and then when Dylan Lewis came on, it was a he's a uh, this is not a slur a slight on him, but he is a far inferior scrummager to to hmm. Tom Francis. They didn't Fran, uh, Francis didn't perceive a threat from Dylan Lewis, so they weren't running around the uh, the the tight head, and therefore it looked to. to Kind of to the uh, untrained eye, it looked like this Welsh scrum had got more steady, if you know what I mean, more, more secure. But it hadn't. It's just they they weren't chasing around on the Thomas Francis's side, and, and like I say, getting penalties out of uh, Cardi out of it. Um, so you know the set piece was good uh, generally, but we just we just I mean it's been covered in various places. We just don't look like cutting people open in attack. Yeah, we're definitely going to revisit that. I want to just look at some of the some of the potential positives and you know see if we can piece them together for the for the longer term. I think that front five is starting to gel a bit more, and you know I think we've seen. I think Will Rowlands has put in some big performances, particularly post Dublin, and you know he's kind of finding his feet at international level. And then, like you say, we you know we know how important the likes of Tom Francis are. I think Ryan Elias deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's you know. Um, He's come under fire for the line-out. I'm not saying that that's, that's entirely his fault, but the line-out as a unit and him hitting his darts you know, went, went really well on, uh, on Friday night again. And I think at home, Wales have turned themselves into a tough side to beat. And you know, that, the, the kind of the, 
I think the the stats and the and the the results would would back that up. So that in itself is you know is is never a bad thing because even under Gatland there was you know God we lost some you know we lost to Samoa at home at points in the same year as a Grand Slam. You know there were there were some there were some definite some definite points where we we struggled regardless of where it was. So you know if you can build a if you build a tough um, a tough side to beat at home, that's a you know that 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 is definitely worth something, particularly when you when you know when it comes to the autumn internationals. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, usually we don't carry any form from the Six Nations into the autumn anyway. But uh, you're right; if it, it can cont- continue and have been, um, it helps. Um, uh, I just think if we're gonna, you know, especially away from home, or, or even against the top, you know, say if uh, South Africa, New Zealand, or Rebecca mm-hmm. come up here in the autumn, we're gonna win in those games. I think we're just gonna we're gonna have to develop something in midfield, you know. Um, uh, Suggest people suggesting there might be changes for next week, and I just think, you know, the last time we had a free flow in free scoring back on it was uh, the 2019 Grand Slam, and that was Gareth Anscombe. Well, so, let's stick let's stick with that because we've had a question in from James Gwynn. It says, "As good as Dan Bigger is, is he the best option at ten for this team?" Well, I I, I don't like the idea of him carrying the can for the fact the whole side can't create anything, mm-hmm. but. Um, combinations you know across not just him but the two centers as well they're just i mean not only are we uh, not creating or scoring there's not even line breaks to speak of is there you know it's not no. even half breaks it's not even there's no there's no threat like that uh, we had a uh, the last game that took him away there was a set move that went well and sort of sparked us into life in the second half but uh, and we scored three tries albeit you know uh Kind of from quickly taken penalties and things like that. Um, just generally across the four games, you know, there's there's nothing thrilling going on there, is there? So um, something's got to be looked at, and if you know, if it means bigger's got to go, but I don't think you should take. I, it, it, it strictly speaking, selection is not the issue with, with the way we're playing. It's the it's the uh, the general shape of our side. Yeah, uh, just changing one guy won't change that. No, well, I mean the best attack on Friday night came from his crossfield kick. Mm. Um, you know where there was just a little a little delay on it, and then perfectly weighted kick over to Toby. And uh, mm. you know, again, we could spend the remaining fifty minutes of this podcast just talking about what a colossus of a man Toby <laughs> Falatau is. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but yeah, no, I agree. I think it's always it's always the case, isn't it, that you you immediately look at the ten. We've had this. With other tens in the past, haven't we? You know, Dan Big has had this a few times during his career. We've had, uh, you know, uh, I suppose less so. <coughs> Priestland was less about, was just more about him being kind of really out of form and you know taking a lot of stick. And then you look back to Stephen Jones when when James Hook was coming through the ranks. The tendency is always to get on the back of the ten, but I agree. I think it's bigger than that. Um, it's a lot more about the game plan. And uh, and what we're trying to do, and at the moment for me, it feels like our best bet of winning games is to strangle the life out of sides. And you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not yeah. like I'm, I'm always guilty of looking back at the Gatland era with rose tinted specs. But it's not, you know, it's not like we were playing barbarians rugby at that point. But in those big games, you know how to execute and, and score tries that will win you big Test matches. And I also think rugby's moved on quite a bit in the last ten years. You know, there were. The way games were refereed at certain points, you could win a game with just penalties alone, and I don't think that you know I don't think that's the that's the case anymore. To, again, to beat the big test nations, you have got to get over the whitewash. Yeah, um, yeah, I, you know, like you just covered there with Gatland, I, I imagine this for uh, for a while at least being entertaining losers, like I we did, kind of were yeah. before Gatland in a way. Mm. You know, we uh, watch Buckley and have a go, but not really. Uh, mm, clinical enough to you know win a game or, or, or uh, set piece frailties would cost us or whatever but um it hasn't gone it hasn't worked like that at all um it's been but, I mean, it, has, it, was, it, has, it has to be a surprise doesn't it when there's been periods where it has but not yeah. sustained you know so when you look at the way that, that pivak had success at, at scarlet's you know it was a real kind of mm. all-court offloading uh turnover and uh turnover and, and run it from everywhere kind of style yeah. of rugby and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the bit I've, I have found surprising that mm. I don't know maybe he just thinks looking at the players the players he's got around him he's 
he's not got the personnel to be able to do that. No, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, you can see the broad framework of the Atleti team because Falatau on the left wing, mm-hmm. you know, some other forward, uh, Seb Davis or whoever would be on the other wing. And so there is a kind of the general gist of it, but I just think uh, I might be jumping the gun here, but the, the kind of silky centres they had at, um, at um, the Scarlets at the time just aren't really silky skilled centres. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hadley Parks and was, um, am I getting my Eras mixed up. If I say Regan King, late era Regan King, King. I think there might have been a little bit of, bit of King gap, yeah. in his in his second stint, but yeah, it was largely it was um, yeah John Fox and uh, I think yeah John Fox when he came back, and then Hadley Parks and uh, yeah, you're right. There's someone else. But there was always else, uh, uh, we're missing someone obvious. Yeah, but there was always on, on the back of that. Then there was always uh, wingers coming into midfield. You'd stretch them. You'd stretch sides uh, the full width with your uh, back row forwards in the f- five meter channel, and then um, the wingers would come in field and look for lazy forwards, and, and that was that was basically nine tenths of the game in attack. And yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're going to catch too many lazy forwards against France. <laughs> no, <laughs> or any not, or any yeah. of the decent international sides in midfield. You know, uh, they're all mobile guys. Like there's no. Um, um, French equivalent of say I don't know a, a, I don't want to name names but type of tight head who's a bit of a, a bit of a liability if he gets caught in defence you know so um, they don't tend to have those players in the good side so I think there just needs to be more to it than what we're showing at the moment Yeah which again is an interesting one because we, we've had this one from uh, this question from Paddy Gilling it says time to look for a new attack coach how much do you think how, yeah, how much do you think this, you know, the responsibility lies with Steve Jones, and how much of it is the, the players? How much of it is the, the, the kind of the overall setup? What's your thought on that, Murph? Um, yeah, I, I, I tend to lean towards overall setup, but I can't. I mean, um, I, it doesn't feel like a Steve Jones backline, does it? No, no, it doesn't. I think he's struggling or. Uh, unable to or not allowed to get out from under the shadow of Wayne when it comes to the back play, and um, uh, I can't I can't see any point um, in going after Stephen Jones. I mean, it was I think it was fairly obvious to everyone early on that Byron Hayward needed to be replaced, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't think you can directly identify Stephen Jones as at fault with the attacking play, even though he is the backs coach. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you get such limited time with players at international level mm. that it almost feels like it's a fine-tuning job, that attack coach, particularly attack coach role. And, you know, I think, I suppose, because defensively you can bring in certain systems that um, that can have a, an impact quite quickly. Whereas I think, mm. yeah, attack coach is a difficult one. But, you know, obviously Howley took a lot of stick in his time as, uh, mm. as Wales and Lions attack coach for... You know, not being expansive enough. Uh, whether that was fair or not is a is a different question. But yeah, I intend to agree with you because I, I don't feel like that was a side that went out on Friday night with um, with any real intention to to play much. You know, it was about executing the kicking game and 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 looking to go from there. And and it, that doesn't come from the attack coach, does it? The attack coach doesn't say, "Well, look, you know, let's every time we've got the ball, we do it." That's the overall game plan, which is coming from the head coach. Yeah, and aside from anything else, I don't think in Wales um, one to fifteen or one to twenty-three, our handling is slick enough to have a mm. free-flowing back line. I mean, if you look at the handling skills, yeah, the uh, the Irish team yesterday, you know, you back row forwards just take really flat, hard passes, uh, and they don't grab them to their body either. They, you know, their hands are out in front of them, and they take them in the fingertips, and everything's just slick, and the the the, the number of times, uh, and it obviously it transfers from the regional game, but the number of times players have to check their run because the pass is slightly behind mm. them in this country, honestly, is a joke. Uh, full-time professionals having to take passes just slightly behind their shoulder all the time, which takes, you know, takes away all the momentum. It gives the defence all the time in the world to work out what's going on. And uh, you just don't see that. And, and obviously, it's the same in reverse with um, the Irish side. Is That's what they all play like for their region, for their provinces should I say so it, it looks like Leinster when you watch Ireland because everything is slick and on their toes and on their fingertips 
I well, I agree with the uh, I agree with the point about Ireland generally. I I would say there were large chunks of the game where that abandoned them with a lot going on Saturday with a lot going to the deck and oh yeah, yeah. a lot a lot of flat passes that, that yeah, but that was that for. was in, 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 the the surge of English pressure. Uh, they yeah. felt the you know the, the injustice of someone's headbutting someone in the chin um, <laughs> and raised their game and just went you know like full Saracens mode, didn't they? Uh, and they can they can sustain it, but. Um, when they did, when Ireland did get their chances, then everything looked slick. The handling looked slick, and that's why you ended up with um, Jack. Was it Jack Conan scored an late try or Caelan? Yeah, Gallus? it was Conan. Yeah. Well, the try that um, I love the try, the disallowed try that Caelan Doris scored. That was um, yeah. uh, great hands across the pitch, and then <laughs> and then. Harry Randall thought he was going to tackle him. <laughs> Do you see uh, that? That was an almighty. There's a one yeah. angle which shows yeah. it. Fair play to him for getting stuck in, but it was yeah. one almighty bump. It was wasn't like Caelan Dollish reminded him that he's a scrum half and I'm a number eight. Just absolutely flattened him. But anyway, it ruled off, ruled out. But I still enjoyed it. But yeah, look, I think it's a really good point around the the overall uh, the overall skill levels when it comes to handling and. That's that's a difficult one because ultimately there's nothing Pivac can do in the you know on a, on a six day turnaround to suddenly make the players uh, be able to execute those things better. I, you know you do get the feeling that those skills are are either there or they're not. And um, yeah, standards yeah. need to raise, don't they? Everywhere. They do. Hmm. We've got loads more to get through, Murph. We're going to um, dig deeper into that Ireland game uh, as you've uh, as you've just touched on there we're going to take a load more listeners questions and finish off on Wales and we're going to take a look ahead to the final weekend uh, as Wales take on Italy and the championship will be decided one way or the other so all of that is coming up after this very quick break Right, let's get the second half underway by taking another listener's question. Um, right, we've, we've spoken about yeah some of the skills there, Murph, and also we've we've looked at the the centres. This question's come in from Robert Giannotti, who I know is a, a long term listener. Uh, is it the end of the road for John Fox, or do we think he'll make it through to the next Rugby World Cup? We only took three centres in 2019, and I'm not sure he'd go ahead of North Tompkins, Halaholo, Johnny Williams, or Watkin. Um, yeah, not his finest, not his finest game in uh, in a red jersey for Wales, was it, John Fox? And yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. Personally, I don't think playing him at twelve helps massively. I, I agree with the question. Um, mm. I I just think he's quite the 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 big knee uh, injuries or reconstructions or whatever else he's had mm. done caught up with him mobility wise, and um, he's already I think showing signs of. I, I, I physically not up to it anymore and um, we still got uh, close to 18 months not quite 18 months I don't suppose to the World Cup and he's not he's unless oh, I, mean, I suppose he could uh, recover some of his um, agility in that time but time is not going to you know age is not on his side at all so uh, if we if it would be a bad sign if we have to take him put it that way um because yeah, based based on current, yeah, based on the, the kind of the current um, incarnation of the him that we've got, it, it does yeah. like to me. It looks like, and you know, there is there are very few people who love him as much as I do, um, but it, it does look like he's he's not the he's not the same player right now, and and no. it feel it feels like the injuries have really taken their toll because there's does. been a string of horrible injuries in there. Well, he's played on through big. Big knee problems in World Cup mm. semi-finals, and that's you know that's not going to help. Uh, 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 important to remember. Uh, <laughs> important to remember, and this is one of my favourite um, bugbears with uh, our sport. Is that he's only playing because Nick Tompkins is concussed from playing for his club on the gap week. Yep. Otherwise, we we know full well Pivac would have picked Tompkins, um, and you know. He's he's at the kind of start of his international career, and John Davis is at the end. So um, there's no doubt uh, he would have picked him. And um, so criticism of the selection or, or of John himself is misplaced in a way because um, he, he needn't have been there. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I mean, again, the, I said to you before we came on air, we might end up talking a little bit about the Scarlets and Cardiff games, which. 
again just highlights the the lunacy of uh, of the game at the moment that on the day that Wales are playing uh, at home to France in a in a Six Nations international a couple of hours before you've got one of the club sides the other side of the world playing in a bloody empty stadium with you know their reserve team against a side from South Africa in a league fixture I know obviously the covid stuff has has had a big impact on that but it's just Whenever these things happen, it just makes the sport look even more, even more bizarre than um, than it than it should do. Yeah, um, I'm not totally against the um, clubs playing on, on. I mean, the English clubs have done it for years. I'm not, I'm not against the regional sides playing on the weekend. The Wales are playing, so long as um, they're able to field side. You know, they, uh, in the gap week, they're only getting players that they're allowed to play for them. Whereas uh, Tompkins club was insisting that he was released because he's not playing mm-hmm. in this country and whatever. And um, so uh, I think you just, uh, if you take out all the international days, which is not just Six Nations, but the Autumn International, then it's really hard for the clubs to complete their fixtures if they don't play on at least some of them. Um, it's because there's and, too many of them, Murph. That's why. There's just too many. If you've got a league yeah, of 16 yeah. bloody sides in there well, yeah. and doubling up with Derby derby games and whatever which mm. i understand the re- you know the commercial reasons behind it um but if you're going to do that you're going to end up with with too many games and not enough mm. not enough weekends which is why you know this is this has always taken place and yeah. i think it i think it hinders the game it it just undermines it like i said before try and explain it to a football fan that you've got games going on the same weekend as internationals you know, like a Premier League side, if if they were without, not even a Premier League side, if a League One side was without three players because of internationals, they wouldn't play the game. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than go, oh well, actually we've got twenty four players unavailable because uh, because they're playing with respective international sides. It just makes a joke of it makes a joke of whatever competition you're playing in. Yeah, I know, it, your, I know your point is very different, but that's that's my bugbear with mm, the whole thing. Is it just it just it's makes slightly different? The league stupid. Um, uh, Soccer though, because they they tend to do a two game international window, yeah, which will be like a midweek game and a weekend game, mm-hmm. and then five days later they're back on the pitch with their club in a league match. You know they yeah. don't really get the recovery time that you kind of need in uh, rugby union. So yeah, yeah. you're right though. Uh, well, what I will say though in its defence is I've, re- I've the Scarlets game and the Blues game. I really enjoyed the style of rugby that was being played because they were playing basically in summertime down there. Mm. The, the the South Africans, even the weakest side out there, they're always looking to play rugby. There's no there's no um, grinding out against Edinburgh on a piss wet Friday night kind of stuff, is it? it you know, it, it it's I, I, and the other thing I found refreshing in watching the both games was they don't uh, the South African sides don't accept contact if you're on yeah. top of them. They're always fighting right to the last. They're not. Yeah. Whereas our boys will just kind of trundle into contact and then try and do a leg drive and then get to the ground. And, uh, but they're, all, uh, they're always trying to um, throw people off and throw people off right right to the last second that they're brought to the ground. So um, I've enjoyed the games just on the style of play alone, you know, from from our sides as well, because they're having to play rugby as well. Whereas they, they would, if they were playing on Friday night in a in a home fixture against anyone, they wouldn't have been playing like that. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. I um, to be honest, I just don't think I can get over the expression uh, "grind out against Edinburgh on a piss wet Friday night." <laughs> it feels like it feels like one of them. You, you, should, you know, we were talking about Sums the marketing the UFC, clubs. You should, you should stick it. You should stick it on the poster. You know, <laughs> yeah. can, can the boys grind out against Edinburgh on a piss wet Friday night? <laughs> Tickets available. Tickets available online. You know, like uh, like my club did yesterday. Actually, grounded out till piss wet Saturday afternoon against Bedros. I was chuffed with that. Excellent, big yeah, big result. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's let's bring it back to uh, let's bring it back to to Wales for the moment. Um, and actually, you, you touched on Nick Tompkins there. We had this uh, this message in from Diego von Albatross. Is it all right to admit that we missed Nick Tompkins? I think it is. You know, I think it is. It's just a lot of energy, isn't he? I mean, he. he yeah. We've covered we've covered the uh, issues with him. He doesn't look like he can play with anyone <laughs> alongside anyone or put anyone else in space or that kind of stuff. But he just uh, is a kind of rand- randomness to his um, movement, which people can't read. So, um, yeah, I think we probably did. It's just energy as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, and and actually, to be fair, to be fair to him, he's in. Um... 
he's in a great he's in a really good vein of form isn't he you know he's playing very well for his club and mm. you know it looked uh yeah I think I think it's absolutely all right to to say that you know like I said before you know I've, I don't know this <laughs> we're, we're sat here as a pair of fans talking about this essentially this is a this is a chat that should be going on in, via, the, pub. <laughs> in the pub yeah you know and yeah, with no one like, listening just, yeah, well, even the well, barmaid, yeah. even the barmaid wouldn't fucking listen. Yeah, she, yeah, exactly. She's like, come on, lads, I got this. It says ringing last orders early in order to get us in order to get us out of there. Um, Tell me you know, language. Exactly, but in a way, that's um, that's kind of the beauty of it. Is it's like I'm not pretending to be some great analyst when it comes to when it comes to you know Nick Tompkins' defensive plays or something. It's just I don't know. There's something I just can't warm to for some reason, but. There's no, there's no doubt in his performances have been have been very good in the uh, in the Six Nations. It's just a question of um, you know whether or not that's uh, like 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 Dan said a few weeks ago whether or not we can build a backline around that. Um, but uh, yeah, there was you know there was very little very little creativity on display from anyone else in the backline. So you know who who knows actually he might have made a big difference because he is that. Sometimes you know it feels like he's just running down blind alleys, and other times that can that can be exactly it in a world of defensive plays and very pre-prescribed playbooks someone who takes a bit of a chance and goes off you know goes off on a, a wild goose chase can can end up getting over the line well you know there is a there is some um, logic around that because um further to yestin's point about um or his theory about the coaches are trying to get the backs to play off the cuff and just read what's mm. in front of them i think it i think it goes deeper than that because if you've got a like a set way of playing um, from open from uh, phase rugby, the analysis that goes in by the opposition now, if you came up with a, a way of doing a, a certain way of playing off phase mm. rugby, they would within two games everyone <laughs> every, all your that. opposition would know it, and you'd be getting swallowed up, and and, and they they adapted their defence to um, to uh, neutralise it. So in a way, you can't. A lot of the sides, us in particular, can't play to a set structure behind. It's just there's, in a way, there's got to be some kind of random nature into it and, and uh, off the cuff. And like uh, the way Ireland, uh, they're my uh, in this tournament, they're my favourite backs to watch in in phase play. Um, what they do is they they've got uh, the, uh, the shape behind means that uh Sexton or whoever is carrying the ball who's got three or four options. Obviously, you know, there's just kind of two runners on different angles and then there's out the back to carry on going wide and that kind of thing. And ours just seems to be everyone on the same line. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's on the crash ball line and there's fuck all else, there's fuck all, all alternative. And that means we're really easy to defend against. And I think that was the root of why France were happy for us to have the ball. Um, but if you try and put anything prescriptive in place where we're kind of doing the same thing too much you just get analyzed to death in, in modern rugby so um it's, it's i mean is it this reason why uh international rugby is hard and that's that's one of them <laughs> yeah no it's a really good point i think um yeah it just doesn't feel yeah it doesn't feel like there's a there's a huge amount of uh, a huge amount of exciting stuff there but i mean the to go to go on to ireland we know that they've got you know that they've got bags of talent aside from ten, where they're still over reliant on Sexton. And actually, to be fair, you know, Carberry putting a putting a good performance against uh, against France. But you know, they're still terrified of doing anything without Sexton. But the rest of the backline, they've got loads and loads of options on. You know, so who is it? Lowry scored uh, uh, scored two tries against Italy on his debut, and then he's out with Keenan in and Keenan had a, a very good game under the eye well they've got those options and uh, you know James Lowe I thought put in a really big performance at Twickenham he gave, a, he gave a Max Malins a horrible time on the um, on that left flank mm-hmm. um, and they've got those options in the centre as well where you can bring Henshaw off the bench um, towards the end of a towards the end of a big international which is these are just the the um, not luxuries these are just the options that we don't have right now mm-hmm. you know we we struggling to find out what our best 15 or best 23 is we're chopping and changing all the time I know injuries has a, has had a big part to play in that yeah. but it's just a question now as we end the tournament are we any closer to knowing what that side is than we were when we started it um, yeah and even when we do kind of look like we're settling on something injury comes and gets involved and then we started from scratch again and um, 
it's not just in the center but for us it's the, the back row changes all the time um, although you could argue the change at back row worked on Friday um, I, th- I thought that was the best the most balanced back row yeah. combination that we've had so Which, far I mean I agree but I hate to admit that I agree because I don't like second rows in the back row no I don't either so um but he just but it's a, good, it's just the absence. He had a good game, and it's the absence of us having anyone else of any great size to pick at six. I think, isn't it? You know, yeah. we've got a lot yeah. of light. We've got a lot of light six sevens, and uh, mm. and that just meant that you know he had to had to anything um, where we copy Eddie Jones is going to upset me. Um, I suppose Ireland now and again with um, Burn Tyke Burn were playing with mm. six, but I haven't done that lately. Um, and uh, they're the only ones that have done it really. Oh, uh, um, France go the other way, of course. They put their back row forwards into the second row. Yeah. So I prefer that. I'll go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> just ultra. I put Tame Basham in the second row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't even lift him. Just sling him up in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And catch one, him on the way down. One-handed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, let's let's move on then. Let's have a look at that game at, uh, at Twickenham because it was a... A cracker of a test match. Um, mm. You know, you've done a pretty good, a pretty good analysis of it in the. Uh, I think it was in the first <laughs> half there already, but um, touched on it and ruined it all. <laughs> yeah, well, clear cut, clear cut red card, um, as as clear as day. And I mean, I'm glad they booed no... it in the stadium. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean... fucking hell, <laughs> how could you boot? I mean, uh, six foot twelve t or whatever uh, James Ryan is. And worse than that, not only was it high, he didn't even have the ball, so it was late yeah. and high. He wasn't stooping; he had a slight, slight flexing of his knees going on. Mm. He wasn't bent to the hip at all. He was completely upright. And um, Charlie Ewells managed to butt him in the chin or the jaw or whatever, and um, they booed it. <laughs> Fucking. I mean, that's it unless they were booing right. Charlie. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think so. I think he pretty. Yeah. Uh, to be fair to me, he knew, he knew, I think he knew pretty. Full well didn't need it. What happened? And cast iron. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was I mean, even Eddie Jones after the game had did, did, didn't question it in the slightest. He was like, "Yeah, got it right." You know, obviously went on to then say there should have been some yellow cards for the scrummaging. But um, you know, there was it was as clear as day that red card. And um, the the thing I found very strange was the way that the two sides reacted. You said that the England went into full on Saracens mode, which they did. Mm-hmm. Um, Ireland, I just thought, were desperate to kill it off. And they were like, right, we're going to go and score 50 or 60 points here. Mm. And uh, and in the end, fine, you know, it was a, it was a, a convincing uh, sc- uh, scoreboard win for them. But they just, uh, I just thought of points. It's like, stop looking for the offload all the time. Mm. Like, you know, don't worry about it. Just go go through some phases here. Don't stop getting so bloody emotional about it. Mm. And, um, and just look to go through a few phases. Because they were still getting super quick super quick ruck ball anyway um you know the Reynal was 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 almost letting them go full superman uh, both sides i thought the breakdown was you know was pretty messy it was would have you know could have been picked up by another referee for being um uh, for being pretty messy but i just don't know why they they felt well, well we got we got to win this now we got to win this now before half time and it allowed england back in the game and they made silly mistakes and they knocked on and and then when the scrum was getting penalised that much, every time that they knocked on it, resulted in them going 40 metres back the other way down the pitch. Yeah, and weirdly, uh, the scoreline that it ended up on is what I thought it might be anyway, without the, red, without the red card. Um, and I think the red card galvanised England. Obviously, we just said they just went into full Saracens mode. I mean, the kick chase was superb yeah you know even from second rows you know um and then they would do you know they do that thing with every decision they get at the breakdown and every scrum decision they get they're going nuts and they just yeah i really don't want to see ellis genji's <laughs> face after a penalty just like, or, or, oh, or um god. or jamie george yeah his bloody big smile oh my god uh yeah uh, so but i you know they couldn't sustain that with 14 men um and even when they you know Salisons play like that. They they use their bench a lot. Mm. It's, it's intense, you know, to play that. Out. Um, and I, just, I I just think the game was the red card made it uh, England and their supporters have a bit of a, 
uh, grudge to bear kind of thing against mm. the world. And they just played with a chip on their shoulder and uh, and with a lot of energy. And that's what made it hard. You're right about Ireland. They they didn't help themselves. But I, uh, I, the yellow cards of scrum time, I, I disagreed with the referee in the scrum. I, if you ever see the spider cam. Yeah, the spider cam gave it a very... I mean, I'm no expert on scrumgeon, it, but it gave a very, very different... Um, yeah, yeah. It looked like, you know... Uh, uh, at ground level, it looked like um, England were going well. But if you see it on Spider-Cam, they were all just... Uh, the English tight head was trying to scrummage onto the Irish hooker. And then each player was a cross. So that, in effect, a cross one, in a way. So that, in effect, um, Ellis Kent just scrummaged on thin air and basically mm. running up the side of, of uh, Tyke Furlong. Because, uh, you know, I know I like to decree these things about props but Ellis Genge is not a better scrummager than Tyke Furlong mm. and I don't care who who, what uh, bloody Joe Mahler or not Joe Mahler uh, David Flatman or, or Adam Jones or any ex-prop says he is not a better scrummager than Tyke Furlong um, and so they were just pulling pulling one over on the referee there and that's why and, and I, I and I wish um Wales had done it in the autumn against New Zealand. Mm. Uh, Sexton and Omani had to have a quiet word with the ref on several occasions about the way about the way things were being refereed. We, when we were getting stiffed in the um, New Zealand game, there was you know there, were, there was barely any questioning of what was going yeah. on. So um, that showed a bit of experience from then. It made it made Reynal think more, at least, about what he was doing and. Uh, uh, anyway, eventually, as we said, they, they couldn't sustain it, and um, Ireland were, unlike us, were able to take chances, and uh, th- then you ended up with a what was it, twenty point game or fifteen point game? Yeah, fifteen, thirty points to fifteen or something like that, I think. Mm. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it was interesting seeing Peter O'Mahony have a quiet word with the referee about England on two occasions sealing off lineouts, and then uh, uh, five minutes later. Uh, his own side gets done for exactly the same thing, but yeah. um, you're right. At least, uh, at least those things were then were then picked up, regardless of which side they were on. Mm. Um, yeah, but I mean, it was it was a fascinating, tense test match. I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with you because I'm still uh, looking at that England backline. I'm just like, it still doesn't make any bloody sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> um, you know, it's all, it's almost got a touch of the, you know, the. Um, Wales in the eighties, you know, how many kind of footballing outside half slash centres can you mm. can you chuck somewhere in this uh, in this back line and, and kind yeah. of hope it works? Yeah. But it's um you're right, it definitely galvanised them. But I said this a few weeks ago, England just seemed to hit a flat spot at chunks in in um in test matches. They mm. seem to hit a flat spot where they let a side completely back into it. They did it against Wales uh, a fortnight ago, uh, they did it against Wales um in Cardiff the, the previous year where they got the score back level despite two very dubious refereeing decisions and then just completely switched off and uh, obviously it's much more understandable when you're down to 14 men but there is, there's definitely something about this I just don't know what it is that you know you there will become a point where they let you back into it where you've, you've mm. got an opportunity to do it and for them it came in that last quarter against Ireland and, and that's where they were able to, to turn the screen well, they're always looking for long stoppages, aren't they? It's kind mm. of a thing where they kind of recharge all their big forwards, although they're not actually a massive pack at the Ireland moment. Ireland were much bigger, aren't they? Yeah, with this with this current this current choice of prop, they're both small for mm. especially for English props. Um, it's not a huge pack, but they they are kind of explosive, if you like. And so against us, they were always looking for stoppages. There was always someone mm. down on the ground. There was always a bloody water boy on. There was always some something going on. I. I I wish referees would say, "What are you waiting for? Get on with it." Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, obviously, with injured injured players, you can't do that. But um, just seem to break up the flow of the game for for the opposition and and for the spectators. So, yeah, it did. But um, I mean, the thing the thing for me is, it's just it was a compelling test match, and you just thought there were points in this where, where especially when they they drew level, I was just like, surely I know. Ireland aren't going to fuck this up. <laughs> yeah. is, like yeah. it would be just. Um, yeah, the, the the biggest kind of bottle job imaginable to have it after eighty seconds, and then and then get hold of it. But what I will say is fair play. Ireland didn't. They you know they they made some mistakes. Their game management wasn't brilliant, but they did close it out, and they didn't. You know they didn't pay, and not just close it out. They you know they kind of um, they battered them at the end, and you know and 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 then 
put a good distance on it on the scoreboard. Yeah, uh, and uh, much to my <laughs> amusement as well, um, especially you know the way the crowd were getting in behind, I, I, as you'd expect by the way, but yeah. just, you know, the, the swing low stuff and then the cheering every single little thing and then um, getting on the back of the opposition players. And I was nice to see them all shut up <laughs> when they were getting <laughs> stuffed. Um, so, um, yeah, I, um, uh, the, the other, but the other bug bear of mine, cause I actually don't think he's a bad pundit when you see him on BT, but Delalio. can we please stop <laughs> in, the, in the commentary box? Like, it's like, he just cannot view it objectively as it's no, happening. He can't. Just, he, simply, he can't. Like, you know, if, if we're a pair of fans talking in a pub, yeah. he's just one with a, you know, with a bigger microphone than ours. Yeah. And I, weirdly, like you said, I like him on BT Sports and mm. I, you know, even, um, when he's commentating on his old club or, you know, anything like that, he's fine. But, uh, he, he, uh, against us, he was calling infringements from us that never existed. Like uh, yeah. Alex Cuthbert knocked it on there, and uh, you know, just weird, weird, random stuff he's coming up with, like like we would in a pub, you know. Um, yeah, he's poor. He, I, I mean, I, I I suppose he's there as they pick him as a as an ex England international, but you are supposed to be a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, Objective, uh, yeah, a little bit more um, neutral than that. Anyway, I mean, I it, don't get me wrong. Uh, Jonathan Davis has had abuse in the past because you, you can hear him. Absolutely, you can hear him off, off mic. No! Go, <laughs> off mic, you know, as someone breaks a break, a Welsh player breaks yeah. a break. But um, numbers go wide, we score. Yeah, but yeah. there's something slightly different to it with um, uh, Delalio because he's not. He's not being excitable or, or doing it off mic you, you know cheering it's, off mic yeah. he's actually it's like he's running he's like he's running trying to imp- well the ref can't hear him but he's like running a narrative of, uh, of pro his side all the way through just if you know what I mean yeah I do the, the other one I find yeah you're absolutely right with <laughs> with Jiffy as well but it's just like your job is not to be there as a cheerleader. Yes, you're there as an ex-international, so you're supposed to bring some insight into you know into your uh, into your team. You're not there to uh, yeah to to be a fan. You know, I think there there is a well, that's what Brian uh, Moore was a, very a big, good at. He was very good at it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's um, he used to get too ang- more angry than he should if England were playing poorly. Yeah, but. Yeah, at the same time, he wasn't. He wasn't like he was. Call, he was also most of the time calling it dispassionately, if you like. Yeah, well, I don't think that he saw things that were that weren't there. If you see yeah, what I mean, yeah. you know what I mean. It, it wasn't. Yeah. He yeah, didn't yeah. see a fifty-fifty call as oh well, that's you know, or yeah. even a sixty-forty call as going yeah. going towards England. Imagining penalties by the opposition, yeah. stuff like that, <laughs> like Delalio does. Yeah, it's, you're right. Though it's quite funny. For some reason, I watched back. Uh, it wasn't the whole game, but on the way to Twickenham the other week for the Wales game, I was um, watching the the England Wales game from two thousand and eight. Then you know there was I watched a chunk of that on YouTube, and bloody hell, like between him and Butler and whoever else they had in the box, possibly Jiffy, God, they were just moaning the, the whole time. Man. And you know, you look back now, and this, it was just such a dramatic game that. Um, that you feel kind of lucky to lucky to have watched it, but God, they were just moaning and moaning and moaning. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a. I don't know. They just got to stop doing it with him and, and Hugo Monia on a Harlequins game. It's just like <laughs> good God, yeah. like you, you know, put the, put well, the drum down, uh, stop uh, banging uh, it for a minute. Uh, of the um, like I say, Delalio was fine on BT Sport, but mm. of the three they use on BT Sport, Ben K would probably do better than. Um, I think I think Ben K is excellent, and, and again, he does not get dragged into those, uh, yeah, into ever feeling like he's anything other than objective. But he very rarely gets the big games because you bring out the biggest names. That's the ITV approach, you know. Is it is we're one step away from having Anton Deck present the bloody studio, <laughs> uh, you know, and Holly Willoughby running up the touchline. You know, it's it's one step off being that. They go for the yeah the Wilkinsons and the uh, and the O'Driscolls bloody and, Clive Woodward and um, Clive Woodward, yeah. And Mark Poosnatch, as my mate calls him. Oh, <laughs> Might have to edit that one. <laughs> yeah, if you were ever in doubt that this was a, a pub chat that no one wanted to listen to, there's your, there's your proof right there. Uh, look, on your, this... look of disgust on your face was just worth it, though. And, uh, do you know what? Things I actually quite, I actually quite like Poogatch as well. Are you? He's a proper broadcaster. Yeah, I, I don't feel mind like him. I'm watching football. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's, he's one of those. I like, um, I like an all-rounder. 
I like those people who do different sports. Again, I think it just reminds me of being being younger, you know, where you'd have someone, you know, Steve Ryder, he's another one. He was he would yeah, pop up yeah. doing that or doing the you know, doing the touring cars or the boat race or whatever. Yeah, um, it, yeah. Yeah, true enough because they don't need they're a broadcaster. You're a broadcaster, what, yeah. yeah. What they what what they presented makes no difference really, but yeah. yeah. Exactly. It still, still right. feels like football when he's on to me. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. Um, let us uh, move back to Wales now, um, because another, well, in my opinion, quite unexpected and strange story is another Lazarus-like uh, comeback from Alan Wynne Jones. Um, but it I seems to, to create a little bit of debate about mm. whether or, whether or not to pick him. We've had a couple of these uh, questions: one from Nathan, one from Reese. Not back into the starting fifteen, off the bench, or neither. What do you what, what do you think, Murph? I cannot, um, for the life of me, see the point in bringing him no, in. No, there is no point. I can't. I, I, where all you risk is more damage mm. um, before he's had a chance to, you know, have a few quiet runouts first for his club. But um, the only uh, argument I've heard that uh, persuades me that it might happen was um, Tom Shankin earlier on Scrum Five said that um, it's his 150th Wales cap if he plays. Right. So. Just purely for the <laughs> for the media side of it, there's a chance he'll be on the bench and then get on and do his 150th cap because no one's done that before. And of course, he, you you probably don't hang around for his 150th at this stage of his career um, in case he gets injured again before next autumn or before the next international. So I I think for that reason they might well do it because then it's something to, you know something to sell a few tickets on turn up and see Alamin Jones have his 150th game or but otherwise you, see, yeah there's no rugby reasons the, for it no rugby reasons no I can see it. that from the union's perspective you might want to do that oh yeah I would money, hate, yeah, yeah, I, would, I would hate to be the marketing executive who has to wander into Alan Wynn's <laughs> dressing room and go yeah look it's, it's great Al but if yeah could you could you pitch up and do 10 minutes for us like bloody you know like uh well he probably yeah, like, he, he probably wants to play I mean he he the reason he's in in this position is because he probably worked really hard to get over the injury, and otherwise, you know, he, he wouldn't be uh, available. So he's been with the squad this week, hasn't he? Um, so it, it, if we're hearing noises, you know, in the public about the possibility of him playing, then he's obviously gone well since he's come back. He, I mean, he will play. I've no doubt. I've no doubt. <laughs> you, don't, you don't bring you don't bring Alan Wynne Jones into a squad to mm. to hold the tackle bags or for uh, or for experience, do you? No. It's, um, yeah. Well, I, I was yeah. thinking, you know, a, a bit of leadership around the place. You know, even if he doesn't get on the pitch, just his presence is enough to uh, uh, inspire some people. Because uh, as we know, he's it's the famous thing that he he trains like he plays and all that stuff. So yeah. he's going to raise standards just by being in around without without being on the pitch. But um, I would imagine, based on what we just said as well, I imagine he probably does make the bench next week. Is this his 150th cap, including Lions? Uh, according to uh, Tom Shanklin, it's 150th Wales cap. Is it really? Mm. Good God. Unless he's on 149 total. But I, I think I thought he said 150th Welsh. Again, uh, talk amongst yourselves, Murph. It's just 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 <laughs> just me, you, and the barmaid. So, um... <laughs> she left after I said uh, Mark Pugatches. Poo, uh, oh, don't do it again. After I said Mark Pugatches' alternative name, she went up oh the lounge. God. So uh, it's not yeah. an issue now. I can. Yeah, it's. I can see it again if you like. <laughs> no, I don't want you to. Um, 149, uh, 149 Wales appearances. God, God, that so is no, incredible, I, isn't it? So obviously, no one's ever done 150 for one country. Um, uh, and I, I mean, obviously, no one's got as many caps as anyway. But it, you know, it's the first time it's ever happened. And of course, he's got was he got nine, nine lions caps as well, or ten or 12, 12, 12 Yeah. So I mean, he's up to he's up to one hundred and sixty-one caps now, <laughs> international caps. But uh, no one's obviously anywhere near him. Uh, what, what was um, McCaw was on one hundred and forty something, wasn't he, when he, when he retired? Like that, yeah. yeah. So he's um, one hundred and fifty's never been done. So I imagine that'll be an extra couple of seats they can sell next week. By the way, uh, I had this conversation many times over the weekend at my rugby club and what have you. The Friday night game meant there was uh, over 10,000 people missing from the stadium on Friday night. And if you base that on uh, tickets costing about £100 each, I mean, I don't know which tickets they were, but some of them are 115 quid. So this, if you average it down to close to 100 quid, that's 
well over a million pounds worth of tickets unsold. Mm. So I don't know how the TV deal works, but if they if they've agreed to do a Friday night game, are they getting extra money? Are they being compensated for moving it from a Saturday? Because like, like we covered last week, if, if you live in West Wales, Mid Wales, North Wales, anywhere, not in South Wales, basically, you've got to take time off work to get to the stadium. And then you can't get home again because public transport stops about uh, 8.30 p.m. Yeah, in cool, Wales. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got to drive um, or you've got to get a hotel, which is the price is tripled in Cardiff, in case anyone doesn't know, on International Weekend. Um, so that's why they, that's why 10,000 people plus didn't turn up. Uh, I mean, if you live local, it's not an issue at all. You can just, you know, walk down. Um, but that, that is, you know, aside from what those people would have spent while they were there, that's just ticket and loan is over a million pounds worth of revenue gone by playing on a Friday. So... I mean, look, regardless of what... Um... Regardless of what the TV does, there's there's no way the WRU would have expected that level of that level of ticket sales. Um, you know, I, I, Friday night or no Friday night, there's there's no doubt they would have expected to sell out against France. And um, well, the point is, on a Saturday they would have play that play that twelve hours later or whatever mm. whatever not twelve the sixteen hours later that that would have been sold out on a Friday on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, and they'd have been over a million pounds better off, which in a, in a cash-strapped union and sport in general, the sport in general in Wales, it just seems like a, like I say, maybe I'm missing, we, you never know, maybe we're missing something in terms of bonus advertising money from playing on a Friday night, because viewing figures are possibly bigger on a Friday night, I don't know, but um, it just seems like a massive own goal. From this, from where I am, it seems like a massive own goal financially. Yeah, and we can't afford uh, can't afford any of them given uh, no. given the, the horrendous uh, times that the horrendous financial times as well as everything else that's gone on in the last couple of years. So um, uh, yeah, that's not a, not not what we need to see. Um, so yeah, I mean, who knows? They'll, they'll probably wheel Alan Wynne Jones out for every bloody game now till uh, till he gets to his two hundredth cap. <laughs> um, yeah, and the hope that we can uh, hope that we can. Uh, Flog a few more tickets. Let's uh, have a look ahead to next week's game, though. Let's just quickly um, take a look at any changes you might make, Murph. Um, I mean, we're we're assuming that he's that, that Alan's going to come in. Is he going to is he going to start or on the on the bench? What do you think? Um, I, I don't know. I can't. I mean, I can't second guess this. I mean, no one in the country saw Seb Davis coming. I didn't even think mm. Josh Navidi would be ready. Um, so. Based I'm not on, sure he was ready, by the way. Yeah, I thought, sure, you know, yeah. He was fine, he was industrious, but that wasn't a Josh Navidi No. Well, he, he looks, he looks um, like he's lost weight since he's mm. been away. And that's going to take the edge off the size of your tackling and what have you. Um, but, you know, like I, I said, they shouldn't rush Falatau back. And they did. They, yeah, so I, did I. And he's been, he's been blinding. Yeah, yeah Navidi, and they did. Um, um, we never saw Seb Davis move into six either. So I'm not going to doubt it uh, I mean if there's one bloke you wouldn't doubt <clears throat> it's Alan Jones um, but uh, there's no there's no issue with the current second row partnership they had a great night in the mm-hmm. lineup uh, on Friday and um, the the only um, part you would gain there aside from leadership with Alan Jones is he, he seems to make tackles which last about 30 seconds yeah, which means the opposition never never get fast ball when when Alamin Jones is in the tackle and our defence is always set and ready. Um, that's something they miss, you know, with, with him not being there. But we're playing Italy, not not, not mm-hmm. France. So um, yeah, it, probably for for ticket sales, they probably will pick him. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think realistically, if I was, I'd, you'd be tempted to go with the same side again, but possibly bring Tomkins in. Um, yeah, that's that's what I'd be. That's what I'd probably be. Able yeah, to look Tompkins, at. and I'd like to see more minutes of Gareth Anscombe to see if he can get him going behind. But I mean, I'd like to see him get more minutes at club rugby. To be honest, <laughs> like yeah. he's been out for so long, and then you know had fits and starts playing for the Ospreys. But mm. um, yeah, it's uh, you know look, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's I think he's an excellent player, but he can't be fully match ready right now. No, but not he, for not for international rugby. He's looked. He's looked okay in the short periods he's been on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, for Wales. yeah. Um, he seems to, you know, I know it's quite a cheesy thing, but he looks like he's playing with his head up. 
Um, mm. And um, that's not always the case with our backs at the moment. Yeah, no, fair enough. Right, elsewhere then, uh, what do we think is going to happen in the in the other fixtures? Ireland, Scotland. Oh, well, uh, it, Ireland, it, Ireland are still chasing the championship now. Yeah, well, and... um, if if the um, other games go to form, that is, Ireland beat Scotland and France beat uh, England, Wales get a bonus point. We can end up third or fourth, depending mm. on depending on you know bonus points in other games and what have you. Yeah. So and then, and and, and it also uh, more importantly, I think <laughs> uh, England could end, end up higher than England. Yeah. England could end up fifth. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's uh, I, I did think that. I, normally, if I'm honest with you, I, it, the league table doesn't mean jack shit to me because it's like unless you're first, you're almost like unless you're first or last, anything in the middle. I know. I know there's financial rewards, okay, which mm. does make um, which does make a difference, but mm. you can never judge a you can never judge a campaign by like oh well we finished we finished third or we finished second. It's like no, you didn't win. It's it. not mega important. Like, you didn't win it to me as a Welsh fan, but it is important. From the point of view of England finishing fifth two years running. Now that absolutely is, is huge. <laughs> and also important. and also, you know, if if that was Wales, uh people would call for the coach to go. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why there's not more of it in, in England. Uh, uh, they they they're the biggest you know, the uh, only France are on a par with them in terms of um participation and, and mm. uh resources and, and everything going for them. And yet they they underperform. Um, I know they could, they got uh, probably the problems have been compounded by Tuolagi and uh, Farrell being out for most well the whole tournament and they probably would look a lot rosier if either of those were playing but they just they just they're not um, they don't perform to greater than the sum of their parts if they did yeah. they you know we'd be in trouble um, they'd always I don't know even when they you know, obviously now and again they win a grand slam, but um, they should. The, the bare truth is they should be winning irregularly. Uh, they haven't won a grand slam since his first season, have they? No, I don't think so. They they, they had a they had so. a championship they had a championship the following well, yeah. year, yeah. And um, same. I, I, and by the way, same goes to France. Right? But that's well documented. You know, yeah. That, um, they're they've been underachieving until the last two seasons. Um, so. Yeah, if he was Welsh, we'd. I mean, we're already on our. <laughs> we're already on our coaches' back because of the style of play. Um, they, they, they should be on his back just because they're finishing fifth regularly. Right, quick, uh, quick predictions. Wales beat Italy. Bonus point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wales beat Italy with a bonus Although, point. It's still like a, a frustrating late fourth try from yeah. a driven line-out kind of rubbish. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Penalty try. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Penalty try, who wins man of the match? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm joking. We all know Toby wins man of the match. Yeah. Um, Ireland, I think, will give Scotland a hiding. If I'm honest, uh, I know that I know that that was a. They'll be super fired up for it. That's Scotland in Dublin, are, yeah. In Dublin, yeah. Scotland are ropey as hell on the road, um, mm. and I think that they're so powerful. Super, Superman breakdowns, and I think they'll. Um, I think I think they'll be on for a. Uh, if they're chasing the championship, they'll need the bonus point, and, uh, I, and I think I, they'll get it. I hope it's a good game because I, I, I've sat through a lot of really crap Ireland and Scotland games in my time. Yeah, six, uh, six three games in the nineties. You know, mm-hmm. in Lansdowne Road in a gale. Yeah, Eric, um, Eric Elwood's drop goal edges it. Yeah, those kind of games. So I hope, um, I hope it's potentially the way Ireland play and and the way Scotland try to play it could be a, a good game and I hope it's, I hope it's not 6-3 yeah I, I, I don't think it will be but I think it's going to I think it's been a tough campaign for Scotland and that's mm. the last place you want to finish because if Ireland had lost yesterday they'd have had nothing to play for and it would have been a bit of a dead rubber mm. because they're chasing the championship and generally a good, a good even if they don't win the championship it'll be a good finish for them if they uh, if the only Second. game they've lost is to France um, mm. so yeah, yeah. you know and a triple crown as well so you know that that, uh, that of course silver is worth something, that's yeah. what I meant to say when you were on about where, where you finish in the table you're, you're either you know winning it or no one cares but the, the, there's the there's the championships obviously and the grand slam but the, the triple crown is also a thing which the league table yeah, I agree. the league table doesn't matter in that regard yeah. does it no no exactly and the league table matters if you're playing a, a you know a 14 team season you know that's that's when that's a good gauge you can't yeah. gauge it on five games i don't think no, yeah. um and then yeah i i think uh, england freshly 
buoyed from their uh, from their uh, you know us against the world um, exploits <laughs> against Ireland. I think we'll get beaten quite not not heavily, but I think I think it'll be a convincing win for France. I think there's too much on the line, and they're too good a side for them not to. Yeah, um, like I say, I think England overperformed yesterday because of the red card, mm. and um, and it might be a dose of reality on uh, next week against um, France. And and if it, I mean, if it, if it goes as uh, if France play to their potential. Uh, you know, play, say if they turn up their best performance of the championship so far, there'd be a lot of pressure on there'd be a lot of nerves, obviously, because they've gone for the Grand Slam, but they turn out their best performance of the championship so far, it could be really ugly for England, and it could genuinely be people after Eddie Jones, after if they get, if it, you know, say if they, I don't know, they lost by 15-ish uh, to Ireland, say if they lose by 20, 20-plus 20 to France, there is, the, you know, there's already people in the media, like Clive Woodward, for example, who's not keen on some of um, Eddie's selections. Mm. But um, Matt Dawson um, has been having a moan this weekend and various people, are, you know, over the, the, over t- the, the times are always The times are always quick to get the knives out for, mm. uh, for an England coach. Um, Stephen Jones in the times will be baying for blood. Well, he, I think um, he's had much more patience from the media than... than I, I know he's been generally successful, but mm. in, since the World Cup, they've been... Underperforming. That's mm. that's three years ago, nearly. Um, so I think he's had much more patience from the media than some of his predecessors. Like uh, I don't know, it was difficult. Say Martin Johnson's uh, stint. He was taking over a World Cup winning side, in effect, um, not directly, but within a couple of seasons of winning the World Cup, and then mm. and then a World Cup final appearance in 2007, on the back of a poor tournament kind of thing. So there was. Uh, the expectation hanging over him, and of course, yeah, from a coach who'd never coached a side before or after. Yeah, well, yeah, but the, but you know what I mean is is uh, uh, Eddie Jones came in, did well with a side that had been humbled in their own World Cup under mm. Stuart Lancaster. So I think he's gone. He's gone just as to me, he's gone just as pear shaped as other coaches who have been sacked, or, who would have been sacked by this stage already. If you follow, if that makes any mm. sense. Uh, Ashton yeah. was the other guy as well, wasn't it? Since Brian Clyde Ashton, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they they didn't get much. They didn't get much leeway. Not not like Andy Jones is getting. No, well, yeah. I mean, Brian Ashton what picked up that that side and they had that World Cup stint, and then um, and then he was gone within mm. within a season of that, wasn't he? And mm. and Martin Johnson was in. So uh, yeah, no, and you know probably rightly, but. Um, yeah. Uh, well, rightly in terms of I don't think Ashton was the right choice, but uh, yeah, we can revisit uh, we can revisit England coaching appointments from 2008 uh, uh, on a Patreon special. <laughs> um, but for this week, I think that does us nicely, Murph. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to this one in the pub with us or otherwise, uh, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. Uh, Go on, Murph, do the line. I was going to say uh, Mark Pugach, no, but I won't. Oh, in front of the barmaid. Um, uh, caffeine, not nicotine, kids. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure this is the this is uh, this is exactly what people are tuning in for. Um, you, <laughs> you're you editing. Wanna, you wanna... You're going to be editing all night. No, yeah. <laughs> if you if you'd only mentioned it one once, I'd have edited it out. But I'm no, the other times, the, the other t- yeah, true. The other times I said his name the right way round. So, yeah, well, fortunately, for, uh, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately for any listeners, I'm far too lazy to uh, to do that, and I'm sure they'll have enjoyed your pub chat. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back to chat rugby with you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.